Portions of the following episode were recorded after the coronavirus pandemic started, but before the murder of George Floyd and related protests. We know these events have had and will continue to have tremendous impact on our lives and our community, and of course, the work of artists. We assert that Black Lives Matter and will be working on content that deal with such topics. As always, we'd love to hear more about what you'd like to hear from us. Stay tuned for ways to reach out to us at the end of the show. Welcome to the Relief Podcast from the Akron Art Museum, comfort and joy for these uncertain times. I'm Seema Rao, Deputy Director and Chief Experience Officer. And I'm Gina Thomas-McGee, Curator of Education. Today, we're talking about process. Um, you, I, I have to say, at my house, we've been using this word kind of extensively. Uh, my children are locked up <laughs> in our house and they want things to happen. Like they, they're both um, middle schoolers and they would like to move from little girl rooms to big girl rooms. They would hate that I said big girl too. Oh, know. wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking about like, so mom and I want to blah, 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 blah. And we're so we've been saying to them, and we're also um, trying to, uh, my husband has decided life skills are an important thing to do when we have no summer camp mm. or a place to go. Yeah, we're, we're learning to vacuum. We're going to learn to build a treehouse. And they want everything to happen now because today's world is instant gratification. So we've been talking a lot here about it's a process. Um, and it's funny because we say that in, I think, common parlance, but really art is one of the best ways to learn it's a process. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I think the problem is, too, um, us as museums, like, we're super bad at showing this. <laughs> you know, our galleries are filled um, with these, you know, finished walls with pieces that are done that maybe took the artist, you know, years to figure out. And we have no sort of, at least... Historically, museums haven't really revealed the process behind a lot of the works that are in their collections or exhibitions. Um, and I think that's changing a little bit now with some museums thinking about interpretation and maybe um, like showing photographs or video or interviews with the artists and revealing what the process is to get from point A to point B or maybe point A to point Z <laughs> because there are so many steps in between. Um, but it's something that's so fascinating, I think. So how do you do this thing? How does this thing get made? I mean, oftentimes so much of it is, um, I mean, not secretive, but really surprising, right? I mean, artists, there's not one way to make a painting or a sculpture or a photograph. And it's not really A to Z. I mean, I'm not a fine artist, but even when I have used to, I used to do a lot of illustrations for things, you start one place and you don't actually end, necessarily end up where you thought you were going to end up. I once, years and years ago, uh, met the photographer Lee Friedlander and... Um, he said in, a, in an interview that somebody was giving, what do you think about when you're taking a photograph? And he said, nothing. And then I had to take a picture of Lee Freelander. And he said, what are you thinking? And I said, nothing. And he laughed. And I remember thinking it. But it really stuck in my mind that he was so in the moment of the process. The process is actually, process is a verb. Yes. And so he was so in the moment that he didn't, he wasn't thinking. 
And of course, he, he did these wonderful works that we have in our collection of, um, of our region, actually, at a very pivotal time when our economy was changing. But um, the process is almost indescribable for a lot of artists. If you ask an artist what they're thinking when they make something, a lot of them will just not even answer. And that's a good point, too. Like, there's different... There's different ways to define process, right? There's like the intellectual process, the things that are, that's happening in the artist's brain, right? The things that you're researching or discovering or, you know, noodling about. And then there's the physical process too. Like there's a lot about art that is physical labor. You know, when you think about lithography, which is like printmaking with a stone, like what? Like your processes, you're washing a stone and carrying a stone places. Like, um, that's a lot. No, that's totally true. You're so right. It is so much about the physicality, you know, like a studio, an artist's studio is, is it's, it's in, when you think of process, you often think it happens for very many artists in their studio. Um, if they have a studio practice and, uh, so those things are the artifacts of their process, but they're, just sort of like almost like a stage set right definitely I mean it's they're surrounding themselves with the tools that they need the supplies that they need and it's like what happens within that space you know um and that's I love that you brought up the word practice because I think that is a really good way of describing what artists do and it's really relatable because it's like oh you're practice which means you're never done learning about it right and I've heard lots of people use that word to describe other things in their lives, like, um, you know, maybe your yoga practice, right? Because with yoga, you continuously get better and improve and, you know, refine things. And that's what artists are doing, too. Like, their processes are changing all the time, being refined, or maybe they make a discovery along the way. Um, and there's artists in our collection whose process is just, like, oh, super mind-blowing and innovative, even. I mean, artists are early adopters of technology and all and materials and all sorts of things. So they create their own processes. You're right. And it's, you know, for me, like all these episodes, we've been thinking about art and thinking about the moment we're in and in, in um, COVID and social isolation. The thing that I like about practice is that means you're in the moment. You are practicing right now. All of these are verbs. These are all actions. And I've had a really hard time with that, I have to admit. COVID has made me constantly focused on what's 18 months from now. I'm like, it's somebody once told me when my kids were little, enjoy every moment rather than waiting for the next one. Um, yeah. It was actually my mother-in-law, which was a very sweet thing to say. Like she wishes she had four kids and she wished she had done that. And she said to me, try to enjoy this moment. I know it's sweet because we can't, I can't imagine those moments now. I can't barely remember them. But, um, but artists are basically memorial they're just moving in the moment they're not thinking about maybe they're maybe i mean some artists obviously are you know very um you know chuck close for example very, it's it's something that's been very plotted out but for a lot of artists even if they're in they've plotted out what they're doing they're still very active in the moment painting that thing that block if it's chuck close in that little square or whatever how, whichever painting he's working on um but they're in that moment doing an action. And I could learn that. I could learn to not be thinking about what I should be doing tomorrow or what we should be planning for a year from now for our organization. I could be just in this moment with my family, with myself, with my thoughts, with the thing I'm doing right now. Yeah, right. Managing your expectations of yourself and of people around you and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I often find myself saying um, to other people like, oh, it's been a real journey, <laughs> you know? 
So that that's maybe another word that we could use too, like your process, your journey, your practice. Um, it's always an evolution, right? Um, we're never done being human, right? It's like you just keep on, I don't know, showing up every day. And I think that's something that was really interesting to me um, to learn as a museum educator and you know, that, that artists, they don't like wait until inspiration strikes and then go in and complete a whole work, you know? It's like very romantic idea, but what they're doing in their practice and their process is just showing up every day. Like get to the studio, you have your stage set like you were talking about, um, and you do the work, right? And that's the only way that it gets done. It's a process for everybody. Right, it is not about a lightning strike. No, there's no lightning strike. It is working all the time. Actually, that that's something that you know we have a great set of um, of photographs, and we're going to talk about one in a second. But by Herb Asherman, who's a working artist of working artists in the studio, and like Craig Lucas is was a he is the late Craig Lucas, I should say, but um, was a working artist. He's just standing in his studio getting ready. And I've seen so many things. They're working. That is their job. It is not art therapy. It's their job. Right. Yeah. And so they they show up every day and they do it, you know, and some days are successful. Some days are probably less so, um, just like the rest of us. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely romanticized the life of an artist, I think, um, in both ways, in positive ways and negative ways. Um, but I think seeing these photographs of the artists in their workspace is so revealing and so interesting. Um, it's, it's beautiful to see what tools are at their disposal. You can see sort of who's a messy worker and who's a really clean worker. Um, <laughs> I sort of relates to seeing chefs in the kitchen, right? I'm a messy chef, I'm a messy cook for sure. Um, but I always get everything done at the same time. So I feel like it's a small price to pay. Everything's warm and ready at the same time. Um, but then there's the aftermath is horrendous. <laughs> Well, and that's a good advice for this moment. I mean, before we turn it over to our colleague, being in the moment and showing up every day is basically all we can do right now. Yes. Let's let's just uh, give ourselves some grace and expect just that, if nothing more. As we say in our office, let's just survive. Like, I mean, that's what these artists are doing, right? They're surviving every day to go the next day to make more art. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll turn it over to our colleague, Reggie. Reggie here with this week's Deep Dive. Artist processes are often seen as mystical, as if the artists go into their studio and some kind of magic happens behind the curtain. They're often portrayed in popular culture as having brilliant flashes of inspiration that lead them in dramatic new directions. You can see this in movies like Pollock, where we see Jackson Pollock accidentally spilling paint onto the floor leading to a painting frenzy that results in the start of his famous drip painting period, as if there were no daily grind to lead to that moment. It makes for great storytelling, but for most artists, the process of making is a careful dance between a daily self-critical slog and these moments of inspiration. In this photo of artist Craig Lucas, photographer Herbert Asherman has masterfully captured this delicate balance. Paint and ink are smeared across the table, ready for use. Bins and bottles swirl around Lucas in the kind of organized chaos that can only be accumulated through daily practice. 
An unromantic but entirely practical air conditioner hums in the background, and at the center of it all is the artist. He's paused with one of his tools, contemplating what move to make next. Despite the clutter and practicality, there's still something sacred about the moment Asherman is captured. Heavenly light pours in through the windows, and Lucas's head, the source of creative prowess, is framed by a work of art, almost as if to mimic a halo. The artist is just like us with his relatable mess and practicality, but there is something happening within that is beyond explanation. What's undeniable about this scene is that Lucas has pushed through days, if not years, of effort to come to subtle moments like this. As for me, I've got some daily grind of my own to get through, but I'll meet you back here next time for another deep dive. Thanks, Reggie. That That's a great point about how art is something that is often misrepresented in movies and in popular media. That process is often forgotten. I mean, if you think about a movie, you probably edit out the parts that seem slow. And so much of process is thinking, is doing something over and over and over. It sort of makes me think of a conversation I once had with our other person, who I'm about to turn this over to, Caitlin, about drawing. She, like me, uh, drew a lot as a kid, right? We just did it over and over and over for years and years and years. Um, And, you know, while I'm not a fine artist, I do enjoy drawing and I use drawing as a form of communication. But I do that because it's easy for me. I've practiced and practiced and practiced. I've honed my process. And so much of process is that. The other thing about process for a lot of artists is about doing it in concert with someone else. Process might be coming to the museum, looking at an artist, exploring their work, and having that influence you. Sometimes it's having relationships with other living artists. And that's something that Caitlin's going to talk about with Michael Lodestat. Um, So take it away, Caitlin. Hello all, it's Caitlin. In tune with this week's photograph of Craig Lucas, I had the chance to catch up with Michael Lutterstedt, an artist living and working in Cleveland, Ohio, who learned and worked alongside Craig during their time together at Kent State University. Michael retired from the print department at Kent State University in 2017, and currently is the proprietor of Photocentric, a photo gallery in Cleveland. Michael's work is rooted in photography and printmaking, emphasizing narrative through imagery. The museum's collection features work by Michael, as well as two collaborative pieces by both Craig Lucas and Michael Litterstedt. During our talk, Michael was outside in a park near his home in Cleveland. So get ready for some bird calls and great conversation with Michael Litterstedt's Shop Talk. So I know you mentioned in your email your history with your a close and dear friend Craig Lucas, and it's great that we have your and his collaborative work in our collection at the museum. If you could, for our listeners, go more into depth about this photograph of Craig and his studio. Yeah, well, Craig was also my teacher and, and mentor for many years as a graduate student. You know, I mentioned to you that he was the first person really I met in 1982 when I came to Kent, just a, you know, wet behind the ears, North Carolina boy, fresh out of undergraduate school, not a lot going on, probably uh, artistically. Kent, I think, took probably a chance on me, accepting me to graduate school. Um, You know, I I was ambitious and I had some skills, but I was a little bit clueless about contemporary art. And Craig kind of took me under his wing, really, and offered me a lot of 
behind the scenes learning in terms of introducing me to new writers and theorists and uh, got me thinking a lot more about the act of making itself because I had really never considered that other than just responding to things, you know, and uh, that was really influential to me. And that I think ties into a little bit about your uh, question that you emailed me about process and I would have to say, you know, describing my own process is really a kind of conceptual one. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about what materiality best suits the idea. Um, I'm not a person who defines themselves by any one thing, although I have been photographing a lot more lately. But uh, and, you know, I taught printmaking for a long time and, and made a lot of prints. Uh, but, you know, I kind of pick and choose materials as needed to fit ideas. So... I think about what it is I want to address and what the viewer's experience might be like, and then I kind of work backwards from that engineering the artwork to fit uh, those concerns. So, Yeah, it's, there's a couple things from what all you just said yeah. that my brain immediately went to. And when you mentioned yeah. Craig was your first professor and kind yeah. of opened your eyes to contemporary art, you did that for me, especially in print one. Um, my art teacher in high school, I think once we spoke about Jackson Pollock. Yeah. And that was it. So the right. most like generalized. Um, right. But I'm interested by this photograph of Craig by yeah. Herbert Asherman. Was his studio always that filled? And like, there's just a lot going on. I'm, I yeah. just see all these ink cans and he's mixing yeah. on the table. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah. it was always like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He had probably been in that studio since 1970, I think, is when he started teaching at Kent. Uh, it had always been a, a, a bit of a mess and kind of an alchemist uh, 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 workshop in a way. You know, uh, it was interesting because uh, we used to, I used to go in there and you would think that, you know, painting is you squirt the stuff from the tube and essentially apply it on the canvas with a brush. Craig never approached painting in those ways. He always had a lot of... Um, uh, alchemy behind it, you know, additives to paint and, and, and did a lot of interesting things in mixing. And he also mixed things on the canvas, um, you know, so he, he would comb through paint and do a lot of techniques that um, actually, strangely enough, were kind of printmaking-like, right? A lot of, right. Kind of things like with wiping onto the surface of the, of the painting. So he did a lot of things like that. Where him and I kind of where what I brought to the table in terms of our collaboration was he was not as interested in photographic imagery and he was not as interested in, um, you know, the, the suite of prints that um, the museum owns, uh, the bestiary. He was not so interested in kind of narrative having a, a part in art. He was a hardcore, uh, hardcore abstractionist, right? So he wanted to kind of, and we, you know, we'd share this. He wanted to control the situations where scale and form and color and layering were made, right? Because that's kind of his thing in relationship to abstraction. And I wanted to control those things where narrative and image and, and um, uh, ways in which the, the image could be a sign or a signifier of different ideas would operate. So the two of us kind of that was our dialogue together in that collaboration. So Okay. I was going to say, yeah, I, when I picture your work, it's very much more image-based. And I um, know you're a somewhat active bird watcher, too. And Absolutely. I'm wondering, uh, with your 
like growing up at the Outer Banks, I'm sure that had such a significant oh, yeah. impact on discovery and imagery. Sure. The Outer Banks was kind of an encyclopedia of natural form. The natural world has always been a kind of grounding influence for me in my work. And, and, and for many ways, it's the one thing that remains constant in the work as far as an interest for me and something that can always hold um, to me a certain validity, right? I mean, we're always going to live on this earth, right? So we probably have to think about this earth in all its dynamics in a way that we can coexist with it in, in, a, in a way that's uh, habitable. And we certainly need to take better, better stewardship of it. So, um, yeah. No, I love that connection. Yep. Um, you have like your own chickens and stuff like that too. Yeah, yeah. So sure. yeah, yeah. Um, I love that idea of sustainability and um, oh, yeah. acknowledgement and appreciation. Yeah, my wife and son, all three of us are vegetarians. Um, yeah, we don't eat the chickens. We just eat their eggs. Uh, and they're lovely girls. And despite <laughs> all the things that you hear about chickens, they're actually really lovely animals. Um, so yeah. speaking of using their eggs, yeah, what is yeah. the first thing you do in the morning? Is it using their eggs for breakfast? Or do you have something <laughs> we else on your checklist? We do, we do eat a lot of eggs, uh, strangely enough. The first thing I do in the morning probably is drink coffee. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm a coffee drinker. So uh, uh, we have an automatic coffee pot that comes on, and we have to probably drink a cup to get going. What are your three Desert Island studio needs? Now, I'm going to probably say laptop and ca a digital camera. <laughs> Uh, because writing and photographing to me are the two things in which I can really apply. But, you know, we're going to get rid of those because the desert island doesn't have any electricity and pretty soon the batteries will die and I'll be nowhere, right? Right. So um, i probably go with paper uh, and a pencil and a brush. Uh, and I probably would make some ink out of something, right? Uh, you can make a lot of uh, botanical inks out of most any kind of plant that has, you know, a, a dark colored fruit or leaf or whatever. Both so resourceful and practical um, yeah. that you wanted to bring a camera and laptop, but you couldn't, um, and using botanical um, methods of making ink. Um, yeah. So out of those, or maybe your camera or a laptop, what's your favorite tool? Uh, I'm a bit of a camera file. I have a lot of them. I've, uh, you know, both film and digital cameras, and I use them a lot. So um, uh, I love the, that machine. Uh, using a camera is something I really, really enjoy. So if I could set up a dark room on the desert island, I probably would. So I'm sure you could definitely find a way to do that. I could MacGyver one. Right. <laughs> um, so my next question is, What's your silver lining during all of this? Oh, God. Uh, you know, the, the only thing I can think of that's been a silver lining is, is spending more time with my family and doing things with them. Um, before this, I'd probably taken some of that for granted, and, and all of us had, you know, and, and hadn't thought as carefully as I should about how meaningful um, your family can be, and it's been great. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, especially yeah. with him um, being in his senior year and possibly yeah. going into college soon. Like, what yeah. a wonderful time to really yeah. spend with him. I didn't send you these necessarily, yeah. but um, sure. this or that questions. So old versus new. 
you know, even though I'm old, I'm always for new. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm always for throwing out the old and starting it over. Next yeah. one is half full or half empty? Uh, God, I would always say I was a half full person. I'm relatively optimistic, although I've had a lot of, uh, you know, kind of crummy life experiences in some regards. I always have felt like I've persevered through them and always felt, um, you know, generally optimistic. Yeah, I'm half full with caution. So yes. I'm half full <laughs> with disclaimers. You know? um, morning or night? Uh, I like mornings. I like very much mornings. Um, uh, you know, I, I like the evening too. I like, I like winding down and, you know, having a cocktail and sitting by the beach is always a, a kind of a lovely uh, thing. We're fortunate where we live that we can walk down to this every day. Um, so yeah, morning. Okay. Um, fast or slow? Oh God. Uh, well, it depends on what you're talking about, I suppose. Um, um, I'm a worker, you know, I, I get a lot of meaning out of life out of doing things. And if I, you know, I, I, I can't take a vacation where I'm just sitting around laying on the beach and, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to be doing something. I'm going to be photographing or working on something or writing something. Uh, I'm just, um, hardwired that way. I, I get a, I get a sense of, of fulfillment fulfillment and being out of work and that's sad in a way to say that but it's creative work and it's fulfilling work so that right that, that part. it seems like you're doing just as much or more at, in oh, retirement yeah. oh yeah yeah. yeah 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 i need to get a job so i can take a break from retirement so <laughs> yeah uh, and then my last this or that question which i'm interested to hear your response is salty or sweet I think that I tend to gravitate towards, in a broader context, uh, sad stories. Uh, I like things that are richer. I don't. I can't stand fluffy movies. Uh, I, I never watch uh, the kind of typical pop fluff that comes out of theaters. I always want to watch a deeper foreign film. So I think I'm going to equate that to salty. Uh, so yeah, I'm a. I'm salty through and through. Salt, grew up on the Outer Banks. Salt is coursing through my blood veins. Yes. And I love that connection of film. I haven't heard anybody yeah. make it yeah. more broad in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any upcoming projects or things you're working on that you'd like to share? You've already mentioned sure. a few, but. Yeah. This, this whole memoir thing is gonna, has a big visual component. So lots of photographs, Some of many of them shot with film are going to be exhibited at Photocentric on um, uh, September, I think it's the 4th, I believe is when it opens. It's a Friday, uh, first Friday in September. Uh, so I'm working uh, feverishly to get all that work done. Uh, the writing is complete, which is great. Uh, there's some sculptural components that'll be in the exhibition and many of the photographs still have to be framed. So. Oh, well, thank you so much, Michael. Sure. Um, I hope it helps. Yeah, take care of yourself. You too, Michael. Thanks. All right, excellent. So um, we are so happy to be doing this and reaching out to you. If you want to reach back out to us, please do give us a call. A phone number is 330-790-1622 or throw us an email at podcast at akronartmuseum.org. Thanks, everybody.
Thank you for listening to the Relief Podcast from the Akron Art Museum. Comfort and joy for these uncertain times. Relief Podcast is a production of the Akron Art Museum. Today, you heard from staff members Gina thomas McGee, Seema Rao, Reggie Lynch, and Caitlin Evans, along with special guest artist Michael Loderstadt. Special thank you to Jordan King, who wrote and performed all the podcast theme music. Until next time, take care and live creative.